Hello, welcome back to another episode of Woe is Media. You got Alyssa and you got Annabelle here. We are back. We've got more stories. We are ready to talk to you guys. Alyssa, what have you got today? Today, we're going to be talking about a long-awaited deal struck by a famous Hollywood union and the major companies involved in filmmaking. I was hoping you would talk about this. Yes. Um, It's sad. And I don't know all the details because I don't understand business HR things, but Mm -hmm. we're talking about it. I'm also going into, I wanted to play off last week's Halloween story. So I'm doing another unsolved mystery, but this one's more of um, golden age of Hollywood. So you may not have heard of this person, but you may know the franchise they're associated with. Gotcha. Okay, cool. We're here for the spooky content. Um, I'm going to talk about how the global supply chain is broken and what that means. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's not going too good on the global stage. So we're going to talk about that. And then we're also going to talk about kind of the labor shortage and like what's currently going on with it and why. Um, So a big economic kind of week for me in business here, but this is important content. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. You want to get us started? Yes. So I didn't title this one anything fancy. It's just called the IATS each strike. So this week, Hollywood narrowly avoided a near total shutdown on Saturday. And I know you're probably thinking to yourself, isn't the government the one that's always shut down, not Hollywood? (laughs) Correct. But this week we're talking about Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So The union representing most of the industry's crew members, which is known as the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, reached a tentative agreement with the major studios. I didn't like go out and seek the exact companies, but you can assume that it's going to be like 20th Century Fox, Universal, Warner Brothers, those type of GM. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. GM. Thank you. So right now, they have agreed upon a three-year contract for approximately 60,000 crew members who were poised to strike if a deal was not reached, causing near all film and television production to halt nationwide. So we know that a lot of Hollywood's films and products come out of Hollywood, California, but Mm -hmm. this strike was intended to reach California, New York, Georgia has become a recently huge film hub. They were going Mm -hmm. to strike in Georgia. Right. So this, yes, it's revolved around Hollywood, but this stretches far further than you could ever imagine. Right. Hollywood in terms of like the industry, not just the location. Correct. Yes. The union has been pushing to improve working conditions that have persisted in the entertainment industry for decades now. The negotiators agreed to a deal after winning concessions on some key terms that I'm going to talk about. So for instance, a minimum 10 hour rest period between onset shifts for all workers involved And you're probably thinking to yourself, that doesn't sound like a really big deal. But Mm -hmm. the problem with Hollywood is that shifts and set time, you know, time is money, obviously. Right. So these crews can go hours at a time before having even a break. We're not even talking about like stopping production for the time being. We're just Mm -hmm. talking about a break where they can sit down and rest. So these conditions have been terrible for the past few years. And 
they've even resulted in some deaths that I'm going to speak about. So trigger warning on that. Oh my gosh. Yes. So minimum 10 hour rest period. We also have a 54 hour break on the weekends. And this also includes increased meal penalties, which is intended to coerce production to include lunch breaks, Mm -hmm. because in a lot of these situations, you have to like eat on the job, basically, right? Like there's really no time for a lunch break. And I can attest to this. I've worked days where I don't I don't really sit down and take a lunch break. Like I am often eating in front of my computer as I work. Mm -hmm. So, but there are days where I get to have a nice break. I know journalism and um, Hollywood are not the same things, but technically I work in entertainment. So right. You do. And time is still money, even in the news. Correct. Yes. So it also includes wage increases, improved wages, and working conditions for streaming projects specifically, because we think about streaming as being the most prevalent, prevalent, but also what's the word I'm looking for? I'm I'm blinking. Convenient, convenient entertainment industry right now, because you can literally access so much content from home on the go, wherever you need be. So this is really important because to be able to have all of this convenient content, people are working their butts off behind the scenes for hours and hours and hours at a time. And I'm really glad that they included, you know, some stipulations specifically for streaming projects. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, this is a tentative agreement. This contract needs to be ratified by members of the ISTSE, but the deal comes, like I said, after months of negotiations and years of discontent, a normal work day for a Hollywood shoot equals about 12 hours. Wow. And many crew members that are related to the IATSE, but also not, you know, just witnessing from afar, you know, maybe they've retired, maybe they work for a different union. They claim they can stretch longer, sometimes totaling 20 hours straight without a break. That's absurd. Yes. And like I said, I was going to mention significant events in this fight. In 1997, camera operator Brent Hirschman fell asleep at the wheel while driving home from a 19-hour workday. And I actually have the movie that he was working on at the time of his death. It was Pleasantville for anyone who has seen that movie. Oh, yeah. Reese Witherspoon. And Tobey uh, Maguire, yeah. Yeah, Tobey Maguire, yeah. Yeah, you, you got him. You got him both. I almost said Topher Grace. I was like, it's the other two. <laughs> the other early 2000s white boy with yes. mm-hmm. um an unnamed crew member on a big budget movie recently shared having momentarily fallen asleep at the wheel themselves after working on a 14 hour all night shift they fortunately survived um brent hirschman is no longer with us right so another unnamed worker described a department head dying of a heart attack on set this year and crew members were told to keep working oh my god And supposedly a grief counselor was brought in in this situation, but they weren't really given the opportunity to visit the counselor. Like they, they just kind of pulled the counselor on set and was like, they're here for you to talk to, but yet you still got to work. It's just an optics thing at that point. Absolutely. Yes. So more than 1000 posts have been shared since August detailing exhaustion, burnout and near death experiences relating to the working conditions and you guys can see these all over. I actually have a I don't know if I can call him a friend, but I have a person that I was 
in a class with in college and he works in Hollywood, not really, I shouldn't say Hollywood. He works in California, close to Hollywood, but he doesn't work in the industry. Mm-hmm. And he's been talking a lot recently about the worker strike and what, you know, this tentative agreement means for his friends that work in the industry. And that's pretty much all I have for this segment. I just wanted to talk about this because as someone who works behind the scenes and not on camera, you know, we often get forgotten as I've stated in the past and we we work some long hours like because of the ALCS in baseball Mm -hmm. I have been having to work till after midnight um the other night I worked till one because yes the baseball game is being broadcasted on my network but Mm -hmm. what some people don't realize is as soon as the baseball game's over we still put out content like nine o'clock show aired at 11 15 there's late night yeah they always whatever the normal news schedule is just gets pushed back because of the sporting events and Alyssa's in Houston and obviously the Astros are in the ALCS right now so go Stros, but also let a girl rest because I'm definitely guaranteed well not guaranteed because at this point the series is tied right but I'm definitely working late tonight tomorrow possibly Friday so I'm sorry how that goes yeah that's um actually now that I think about it yeah you're definitely Friday because wait one and one to watch Alyssa do math in real time they're going to Boston for the next three games two three yeah so even if we sweep the next three games Friday is a guarantee okay right yeah because it has to go (laughs) yeah it's best of seven so it has to go to five games at this point I think about that for a second What's it like being in a tie? Couldn't be the Braves. They have a 2-0 lead over the Dodgers, people. Hello. I'm not going to say anything because we've seen how Atlanta sports teams have disappointed us in the past. I know. You know I obviously, know. I wish the breast for the Braves. It, it would be so cool to have, like, the Astros and the Braves play in the World Series. I would love that. You know that. Yeah, I, you, that would be awesome. I mean, you, the Dodgers, man, like, Yes, they have the most talent in baseball, but as a lot of people know, there is no salary cap in baseball, which means teams can spend exorbitant amounts of money to get the best players. And there's like, they, they can do that. Like if their owners are willing to spend the money to bring in all these awesome players, like they will. And the, the Dodgers have a salary like payroll of of like a billion dollars, which is Far, it's like so much higher than the next team who spent the most money. So a lot of people are just like, I don't know. It's just kind of like how it goes in America, right? Like if you're rich, you can get ahead. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't really like that in sports. Like the team that spends the most money should in theory, not necessarily be the winner every time. So a lot of people want salary caps in baseball. This is quite a tangent we're going on. I know, here. right? <laughs> Look at us. We're not a sports, sports podcast. <laughs> Yeah, but we're we're invested because Alyssa's obviously affected by it on a day to day. And I stayed up late last night watching the the second game, where the Braves won at home against the Dodgers. So we have a two zero lead, which we really needed because LA is a hostile environment. They so. are, yes. Mm-hmm. And also, I'll add this very quickly before we move on to our next story. It is very exciting for the Astros to be doing well in the ALCS series because. Obviously, we were caught up in a sign-stealing scandal a few years ago, and some people believe that we haven't made necessary changes. We got rid of the people 
that were stealing signs. And I would like to believe that everyone playing and involved in the Astros are playing fairly now. And it just makes, you know, obviously some people's opinions are never going to change. Like 40 years from now, people are still going to think the Astros cheat. But in, in my opinion and my like my devoted fan opinion, it's nice to be able to see them thriving without, you know, the negative people being associated with us anymore. So, yeah, I mean, they still have like a lot of talent and like they had to beat the tan. No, who, who did y'all play in the last round? White Sox. The White Sox. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. So like y'all both outright won your divisions. Like, I don't know. The, the, you kind of have to like the process works. It, mm-hmm. It's like a five game series. If you can win the best of five, I don't know. Like I, I, y'all definitely deserve to be there in my opinion. Like, thank you. If we're not going to talk about what happened in the past because it's water under the bridge at this point. Right. So. Exactly. It's like the past is the past. We made conditions to improve. We got rid of those hellions and it's, you know, yeah. So yeah. We'll see what happens. That's all I have on my first story related to the Hollywood strike. I like it. We're we're gonna talk a little bit more about strikes in my second story. So I'm glad you talked about that Woo. today. Um, but for my first story, it's titled Shortages, Supply Chains, and Struggles. <gasps> oh my. Yes, oh my. The sacred three. So there have been major supply chain disruptions in the global economy lately because of COVID. And this was all supposed to be a temporary issue, but it has proven not to be temporary. It has been lingering. And I feel like supply chain is kind of one of those things that like people throw it around in the media a lot or like, oh, due to the supply chain issues, but nobody really knows like what that means. Mm Mm-hmm. But I wanted to talk about it because supply chain management was actually one of my majors in college. So this is like pretty cool for me to talk about. And the whole thing about supply chain is like getting goods and and services, but mostly goods in this case, from point A to point B and like how it gets there and all of the steps that are necessary for it to get there. It's like inventory management, it's logistics, it's shipping, it's everything from like there's different systems depending on like what kind of product you have. There's a lot of nuances to it. And it's a very like niche industry, but it's like extremely critical to like the economy because if it's not working, the economy is not really functioning properly. And that's what we're going to get into. There have been a lot of issues with shipping on the ocean, like shipping ships, I guess, for lack of a better word. Shipping ships. Yeah. There are a lot of ports with container ships that are full of stuff that consumers and retails have ordered and the ships are just backed up for days because of the volume of ships that are trying to get into these ports like there's just a massive ongoing traffic jam it's literally the world's largest parking lot at this point yeah it's tremendous and it's like not moving it's ridiculous how these things are not being able to get into port and this kind of started because at the beginning of covid obviously we know that the the first like big breakout was in Wuhan, China. Mm-hmm. So in China, um, there were a lot, there's obviously a lot of manufacturing that goes on there. A lot of companies outsource there because it's cheaper to produce there. So a lot of Chinese manufacturing plants closed at the beginning of COVID because they obviously didn't want to have the disease spreading or they were like cutting capacity. So there was less like products being produced and shipping for the products was canceled because people were like, oh, well, like nobody's going to need these, you know, and if they're not being produced, there's nothing to ship. So a lot of the shipping was canceled. But then obviously, as the economy started to reopen, there was a huge surge in demand for a lot of products 
And even during, before the economy started to fully reopen, there was a big demand for things like household products and cleaning products and PPE, so like personal protective equipment that's needed at hospitals and other healthcare sites. Um, There was a huge demand for that. That still needed to get shipped even during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And there just were not enough ships to get all of this stuff to the US. Um, And because it was a global pandemic, Things like the PPE, they, they didn't just have to go to the states. They had to go to other countries as well, obviously, because yes. everyone is affected by COVID. We're not and the it center had to of the sh- world, guys. Correct, yes. And it had to be shipped to places like Africa. And Africa is not a major, I guess, consumer of products from China. They don't tend to get like a lot of exports. And generally speaking, when things come in from China, at least to the states, China or America is also exporting things back over. Mm -hmm. So when anything comes into an American port, goods from America are being put on the ship and going back to wherever they need to go. So it's like stuff comes, they empty it, they reload it with American products, and then they ship it elsewhere. Africa's not like producing things really to export to other places. So this PPE was being like shipped to Africa and Africa was like sitting on the ships and sitting on the containers because they didn't have anything to ship back. Mm -hmm. So there were ships and shipping containers that were like physically stuck in other places just because they were empty and they weren't being shipped back. So that was causing a lot of delays and that was obviously an issue. So they ended up just having to ship back a lot of the containers. So this, because there was such a demand for all these products, And because they did not have the containers and the shipping or the cargo ships to get everything from A to B, it also caused a huge surge in shipping prices. Like prices have increased tenfold in shipping, which is huge for a lot of businesses, even big businesses, like a 10 times increase in price is a 10 times increase. Like that's, that's going to affect your bottom line, no doubt. Um, And it's because of scarcity, obviously, like if they just didn't have the means to get things from A to B that's going to cause prices to rise. That's just basic economics. Mm-hmm. So, and currently right now, 13% of world shipping containers are stuck somewhere, 13%. So that's, that's pretty significant. Um, that means a lot of goods are not getting to where they need to be. And guess what? This is probably not going to get better anytime soon. Cause you know, it's coming up at the end of the year. Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> Holiday. Why I had to think about that. <laughs> I was so thinking of like of a bank holiday question. or something. I was like, what's coming up at the end of the year? Like, I don't know. There's a lot of things. Um, but yeah, no, the holiday season. So that's obviously a huge shopping time. You know, Black Friday is a big deal in the States. And I'm, I'm not sure if other countries do Black Friday deals, if I'm honest. Um, with with the presence of like e-commerce, they might, but I feel like know. just for the for the benefit you know for the pricing yeah yeah I feel like they may like play into it yeah that's people will be like true. what does this have to do with anything and they're like don't worry here's the deals yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> tell me <laughs> twice to pay less for something um but with the holidays coming up companies are trying to like prepare for this so they're ordering even more junk oh because they need they're trying to make the sales obviously so they're ordering this more junk to have more inventory to sell and that's causing even further backlogs on the system and furthermore these companies that are ordering this stuff they don't have any place to put it like their warehouses are already full Mm -hmm. so they're leaving this stuff at the ports 
Like they're not going to pick it up. It's just like, and that's another reason for all these traffic jams. These ships who have gotten into the ports, they're not leaving because they're not coming down low. They're just chilling. Yeah, they're just, they're using it as a warehouse. So it's, it's a big problem. And it's unfortunate because retailers could potentially miss out on like seasonal sales. Like obviously you're not going to sell, you know, fake Christmas trees to put in your house in the middle of June. Like you're probably just not, it's a seasonal item. I thought you meant like people don't use fake Christmas trees. And I was like, I do personally. No, I do too. I have nothing against fake Christmas trees, but you're probably not going to purchase one in the middle of the summer because you're probably not. not. That's a, that's a weird investment to make at that point in time. It is. I mean, if it's on sale then you know, you do you, but there's seasonal sales. Like if it's something that has kind of a specific element to it, like it has to do with the holidays or like certain types of weather. If you miss that window where it's going to be in demand, you're not going to make those sales. And that can make a pretty big difference for a company's bottom line. And it's unfortunate because with shipping prices going up tenfold, the little companies are just not like, that's not feasible for them. Like that's absurd. Some of the bigger companies like Home Depot, they've taken to chartering like their own ships to go get their stuff because it's such a backup. I love Um, that actually. Yeah. It's kind of fun. They're like, all right, we're just going to take matters into our own hands here. I'm going to go get get it. We go and go get a boat. So, but obviously the little retailers can't compete with that. So this is another example of how small business is negatively being affected by the pandemic. Um, And so how is this kind of being mitigated? So President Biden has opened the port of Los Angeles and Long Beach, California. Mm -hmm. It used to just kind of be a standard, like, I don't know if it was exactly nine to five, but they didn't operate on the weekends and they didn't operate on the, on like late nights. It was fairly standard business hours, but it's now open to be 24 seven. So this will hopefully help some of the backlog because there's not like a lot of stoppage time. It's already going, which is good. And e-commerce just generally speaking, it's obviously been popular because we're in the digital age. Mm-hmm. And it's been especially popular with COVID because people don't want to like go out and go shopping in person especially for groups that were hesitant to kind of get into e-commerce, like the elderly, they're now engaging with it because they're obviously the most vulnerable. They have no choice. Yeah. They have no choice. Yeah, exactly. But e-commerce in general is very hard on supply chain because people are buying from all these different places. They're not just going to their department store and picking up everything they need, or they're not necessarily just going to Target and getting everything they need, something like that. They're kind of piecemealing from different types of retail Mm -hmm. and that's hard on supply chain. And they're also just individual stores. They don't have to hold all of their inventory because they're not going to like sell it all. Does that make sense? Like if they're not like people don't necessarily go to Kroger for cleaning supplies, right? They go for groceries. I get my cleaning supplies there, but some people don't. I was about to say, I get mine there too. <laughs> like, some people are going to get those on Amazon. Like maybe if you do the subscription where it comes in every few months or something, if you're using it frequently, like people are getting things from so many different places and that's hard on supply chain. And it's hard for retailers to kind of know like what they need to stock and how much of it they need to kind of provide for everybody. So all causing issues and getting into supply chain like nuances a little bit more. There's two different kinds of systems. So there's a push demand and there's a pull demand. So a push demand is where you just make a ton of something and then you store it. You're just pushing it through the system and you're like, okay, people will hopefully buy this. Right. Yeah. And that's generally for things with like more steady demand or things that don't require a lot of customization. Mm-hmm. But then there's also pull demand, which is where it's kind of made to order, right? So like if you 
want to order a custom phone case with like your monogram because it's 2013 and we have monograms on things. I don't, I couldn't think of a better example. No, but I love that. That's a great, that's a great. Monogramming is out. Throwback. Something like that. Um, you know, that's, that's what's called a pull demand because the customer is putting in the order and then the manufacturers are pulling the product through the chain being like, okay, they want this. And the, the consumer is kind of like driving the sale as opposed to just the manufacturer trying to front load the process. Does that make sense? I see it. I like it. I want it. I got it. Yeah. And there's a lot of like pull demand in this current economy. So that takes obviously a lot of time for manufacturers and retailers to kind of work with. There's also something called just in time, which is where you're kind of making products. I don't want to say last minute, but you're waiting for that order to come in and then you're getting it to the consumer pretty quickly. Like you're not front loading a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge part of the economy as well. And like just in time right now with all the shipping delays has been like late. So this whole story kind of just shows how global the economy is because like Africa's involved, China's involved, you know, all the Western countries who are consuming most of these goods are involved. So I'm not telling you to front load purchasing your holiday presents, but I am going to tell you to exercise patience when you're purchasing anything online, because it's going to take probably a while to get to you. And it's not really any specific person's fault. You know, don't, don't get mad at some customer service rep. It's, this is truly a global problem and it's broken and it's going to take a long time to fix. Hopefully it'll, you know, the economy will kind of settle down a little bit in terms of like, you know, demand for certain things. But um, yeah, I would say the earlier, the better if you're trying to like purchase things for the holidays and whatnot. So yeah, that's the supply chain issue. Can I just add like one more thing that I personally experienced recently? Mm -hmm. So I have been wanting to buy myself a Nintendo Switch since my birthday happened earlier this month, but because, you know, I'm trying to watch my money, I'm trying to make sure that I have enough like left over after the big purchase that I won't be suffering, you know, for the next few weeks before I get another paycheck. Mm -hmm. So the other night I was like, I'm finally going to bite the bullet. I went on Amazon. I know sad, but it's the only place that you can get two day shipping, free two day shipping. guys. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, and I looked up and I was like, these are exponentially more expensive than they were a few weeks ago. Yeah. And I was like, I can't afford this right now. So I settled on a Nintendo switch Lite, which is supposed to be here, um, today. And even those were like 20, $30 more expensive than they were. I just checked as Annabelle was talking, it's back down to the original price. I saw it at. Oh, that's so annoying. I'm sorry. So, like kind of, kind of related, but kind of not, but I was just like, dang it. Yeah. That's unfortunate. I mean, part of the, the shipping obviously, and then with the supply chain issues, I'm sure that's contributing to the price, but there's also just inflation right now. And um, it's absolutely. Yes. It's, you know, 5.4% higher this year than it was last year. And a lot of that is also proving not necessarily to be transitory. So mm-hmm. Darn. These are tough times. Um, yeah, I would just say to exercise patience and be, you'd be smart with your money. We really got screwed over. Like we really yeah. did. Yeah. We were out of college for maybe like eight months before COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Now 
I mean, Annabelle's thriving. I'm not. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, thriving is a friends. big word. <laughs> we'll say that. Uh, making friends as an adult is really hard, people. It and is. if you're if you're suffering from that as well, just want you to know that I'm right there with you. Okay. <laughs> so my next story, my Hollywood story for the week is entitled The Speeding Bullet. Ooh. And that kind of gives you a hint, hint, wink, wink to what franchise we're going to be talking about. But if you don't get it, that's okay. I'll tell you later. So George Kiefer Brewer was born on January 5th, 1914 in Woolstock, Iowa to Donald Brewer and Helen Lesher. Okay. We got a Capricorn. We got an Iowan. I'd, uh, I've never met anyone from Iowa. Like, honestly, sometimes I forget Iowa exists. Um, <laughs> He was born five months into the marriage and his parents separated soon after. They were probably those people that think, oh, I'm pregnant. Let's get married. That will solve everything. And then the baby comes into the picture and it doesn't. Right. So shocking how that works. Right. You know, they didn't know. It was 1914. They were built different back then. Mm-hmm. George World War and- One. There are bigger things going yes, on. Yes, exactly. Yes. George and his mother then moved from Iowa to Galesburg, Illinois, and later George's mother moved them to California to stay with her sister so they could have that, you know, familial thing going on. When he's still alone. George began acting and singing in high school, continuing performing on stage as a student at Pasadena Junior College. While studying acting at the Pasadena Playhouse, he met his future wife, Eleonora Needles. That's a nice name. I know, right? I read that and I was like, what a name i hope he's not scared of needles but um share needles okay there there's a drag queen that i follow named sharon needles she's problematic but i i always like share needles share your needles <laughs> okay they married on september 22nd 1940 they had no children and divorced 10 years later okay. that was all i could find about that marriage so in 1939, George's film career officially takes off when he's cast as Stuart Tarleton, one of Scarlett O'Hara's suitors in oh, Gone yeah. with the Wind. He is he the um the second husband or the first one? So he's not a husband. He's in like the first scene of the film, like you know, like she's getting ready for that party. He's one of the twins. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. And because at first I was like, where was he in Gone with the Wind? And then they were like, oh, he's one of the twins. I remember the twins. I didn't remember their names, but I remember there being like twin suitors. Um, He's featured in the opening scene, like I said. And after filming, he returned to the Pasadena Playhouse where he was cast as the lead role in the play Poncho, which sounds very racist. But what could you expect? It's 1939 and Hollywood's full of white people. Mm-hmm. still is um <laughs> this directly leads to a contract with warner brothers because as i've stated in the past you know old time hollywood was very different from um new age hollywood you would sign contracts with the studio and you could only do films with that particular studio right. yeah. and there were hella laws attached to these contracts like you had basically no freedom you had no free will it was sign your life away they take your firstborn pretty much yeah Yeah. so george officially changes his name to george reeves which i spoiled earlier by calling him by his fake last name and several films that reeves filmed with warner brothers were produced and released during the post-production of gone with the wind so while 
Gone with the Wind was his first film role. It is technically his fifth film release canonically. Gotcha. Okay. So, because once again, production, it's crazy. He starred in several two real short subjects and appeared in B pictures alongside future president of the United States, Ronald Ronald Reagan. And three with James Cagney, who many may not know, but he was a very big deal back in um, golden age of Hollywood. Mm -hmm. These did little for his career and his contract was dissolved by mutual consent. They were like, we don't like each other. Let's move on to bigger and better things. He moved on to 20th Century Fox, but was released after only a handful of films. You know, entertainment's hard, guys. Yeah, hard to hack it. It's a hard business. After a handful of freelance positions and a short period with Paramount, Reeves was inspired to enlist in the U.S. Army by the film So Proudly We Hail, which he was in. It's a Hopalong Cassidy film he co-starred in with Claudette Colbert, who, once again, y'all may not know, but I love me some Claudette Colbert. She was in It Happened One Night, which is pretty much the onset of romantic comedy films oh, okay. of today's age. It stars Claudette Colbert and what's that man's name? Rhett Butler. Oh yeah. That guy. That I, guy. I, forgot, I don't, I forgot <laughs> something. I, I don't remember the actor's name. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I'm, I'm a terrible person too. I can't remember. Uh, Clark Clark Gables? Gable. Yeah. That's that man. That's him. Um, but it's a fun little film. I wrote a paper about it happened one night in college and I did not get the grade I deserved. But anyways, still love wronged. I know. <laughs> he was drafted in 1943 and was assigned to the U.S. Army Air Force and was performed in the USAAF's Broadway show Winged Victory, followed by a national tour and a movie adaptation. All right. He was then transferred to the Army Air Force's first motion picture unit, which I didn't know was a thing. Me neither. Then it says that through this unit, he made training films. Ah, I see. That made a little bit more sense. Okay. Yeah. Um, He was discharged at the war's end and George returned to Hollywood, but many production companies and houses were slowing production and some were closing altogether because of the lack of activity during the war. And he did manage to book a supporting role in From Here to Eternity, which gives him the distinction of appearing in two Academy Award Best Picture winners. Nice. Do you know what From Here to Eternity is? I've heard of it. So you know that scene that's always done in film and television where two people are making out on the beach and the and the surf hits, you know, they're in the water and they're just making out. Sure. Okay. <laughs> it's like yeah, no, I'm familiar. Yeah. It's it's a heavily parodied uh scene, but it originally comes from from here to eternity. So now we're getting to the the good stuff. In June of 1951, Reeves is offered his big break as Superman. Wow. Okay. That's a big one. In the television series, Adventures of Superman. He was initially reluctant as television was seen as a less important medium than film at the time. Right. But he accepted. The small screen. The small screen. You know, Not the silver screen. Not the silver screen. <laughs> and at least two shows were made every six days and multiple scripts were filmed simultaneously to take advantage of the standing sets once again. Production is a crazy world and yeah. it's hectic. Zero to a hundred. Yeah, real quick. 
The first season of the show was shot over 13 weeks in the summer of 1951, and it went to air the very next year. Reeves became a national celebrity and the first person to portray Superman on television, I believe, is the correct one. But he's one of the first people recognized as Superman in, mm-hmm. you know, the, the franchise. Right. In 1952, the ABC network purchased the show to save itself and boost the visibility of its stars through national broadcasts. So ABC was doing really bad at the time. And they were like, Mm -hmm. maybe this will give us the the needed boost to get back on track. And it did. Um, The Superman cast, however, had very restrictive contracts like we talked about. They could not take other work that would interfere with the series. They had what was called a 30-day clause, which meant producers could demand their exclusive services for a new season season on four weeks' notice. Wow. Sounds like a lot of time, but it's not. It's not, yeah. And this prevented long-term work on major films, stage plays, and any other series work, basically. So if you signed on to be on Superman, that was your only role for however long your character lasted. Right. Reeves, however, earned additional income from personal appearances. Like he would go around town and be like, hey, it's me, Superman. How you doing? Um, he loved his young fans and took his role as a role model very seriously. He even avoided smoking cigarettes in venues where children would see him Aww. and eventually was able to quit smoking altogether. Yay. Very nice. We love that. He did keep his private life very discreet and was slightly saddened by the prospect of not having adult fans, even though at the time of its production and release, the show was attracting fans of all ages. You know, that was just, you know, it's, it's kind of like there's many cartoon shows nowadays that many people think are just for kids, but if you actually sit down and watch them, they're very intelligent and they can easily keep an adult audience's attention very easily. Like when I was in Georgia, I was talking with one of our friends, um, Danny and Ryan, and they told me that they were watching gravity falls. Gravity falls. Yeah. Gravity falls is a great example of a children's show that works well for adult audiences. I love that show. Anyways, (laughs) he worked endlessly with his lover to raise money to fight myasthenia gravis and even served as the national chairman to the Myasthenia Gravis Foundation in 1955. Mm -hmm. And I did not know what this disease did, but apparently it is a long-term neuromuscular disease that leads to varying degrees of skeletal muscle weakness. And I couldn't find any reason for why uh, George was so drawn to this disease in particular, but you know, we love, we love to see people supporting causes. Mm-hmm. After two seasons, he was becoming dissatisfied with his salary and one dimensional role. He was at the age of 40 and he wanted to move on with his career. He established his own production company, but Superman producers did offer a higher salary and he returned to the show, staying with it until its cancellation in 1958. He was reportedly making $5,000 a week out of eight weeks in the year the show was shot. Annabelle, would you like to take a guess at how much 5000 in 1958 or so is in today's dollars? 5000 a week, you said? Yes. That's a lot even now. <laughs> it is. a lot of money. Um, 5000 a week in the 50s? Mm-hmm. Mm. 60 grand? 48,000. Okay, I overdid it. Per week. (laughs) Per week, though. Good Lord. Well, 
per week. But like I said, he only shot for eight weeks, but 48 times eight, that's, that's enough. You know, mm-hmm. that'll, yeah. that'll set you off. Well, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So now we've reached the climactic night on June 16th, 1959, between the hours of one 30 and 2 AM George Reeves died from a gunshot wound to the head in the upstairs bedroom of his Benedict Canyon drive home. His fiance, Lenore Lemon, William Bliss, writer Robert Candon, and Carol Van Runkle were all in the house at the time of the shooting. It was one of those situations where, you know, you're so popular, you're so famous that people are just having parties in your house when you just want to go to sleep. Right. Kind of situation. And according to the witnesses, Lemon and Reeves had been dining and drinking earlier that night in the company of Can- Condon, sorry, Condon. And they had an argument at the restaurant and all three returned to the house together. Lemon, however, claims that she and Reeves did not accompany friends to a restaurant, but rather went to a wrestling match to see one of Reeves's friends fight. Mm-hmm. But the friend, Gene LaBelle, was wrestling that night, and he himself does not recall seeing Reeves at all. So Ooh, okay. already, already some shady storylines. Yeah. An impromptu party broke out near midnight after Reeves retired to bed when Bliss and Van Runkle arrived at the home. Reeves came downstairs to complain of the noise, but stayed with the guests for a while before returning back upstairs. When the gunshot was heard, Bliss ran upstairs and found him lying across the bed, dead, body facing upward and feet on the floor. Oof. And it is believed to have corroborated Reeves' sitting position on the edge of the bed to the point of him allegedly shooting himself so that his body fell back on the bed from the force of the gunshot. Ooh. No one in the house apologized for the delay in calling the police. Hmm. sketchy very Um, sketchy all were extremely inebriated and coherent stories were difficult to obtain from any of the witnesses uh the fiance once again lenora lemon attributed reeves's alleged suicide to depression caused by his quote-unquote failed career and inability to find work her official story placed her in the living room with party guests at the time of the shooting but hearsay put her either inside or in direct proximity to Reeves's bedroom. Hmm. And according to Fred Crane, one of Reeves's friends who was not present in the house at the time. So you got to take this with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Bill Bliss had told Millicent Trench, who I'm not even sure, I guess she was just a party guest. After the shot rang out that Lenore came running down the stairs and said, quote, tell them I was down here. What? <laughs> I know, right? She's already trying to come up with an alibi. Supposedly. Once again, this is this is from someone who was not in attendance at the time. So this could have happened. This could not have happened. You know, mm-hmm. questionable physical findings were reported at the scene. There were no fingerprints recovered from the gun. No gunpowder residue was found on Reeves's hands. But this is contested because gun residue testing wasn't routinely performed in 1959. Mm-hmm. The bullet that killed Reeves was recovered from the bedroom ceiling and the spent shell casing was found under his body. Okay. Doesn't make sense. Uh Uh-uh. Two additional bullets discovered were discovered embedded in the bedroom floor and all three bullets had been fired from the gun at Reeves's feet, but all guests insist that they only heard one shot. There was no sign of forced entry or other physical evidence that a second person was in the room. And Reeves's death was officially ruled a suicide 
but his mother actually hired the attorney, Jerry Geisley, to petition for a reinvestigation as a possible homicide. Mm-hmm. However, the second autopsy concluded the same as the first, except for a series of bruises of unknown origin on the head and body. George Reeves is interred at Mountain View Cemetery in Mausoleum in Altadena, California. And in 1960, he was awarded a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for his contributions to the TV industry. Mm-hmm. In 1985, he was posthumously named one of the honorees by DC Comics in the company's 50th anniversary publication, 50 Who Made DC Great. What a catchy title. Yeah, really. I tell you all of this because there is a curse associated with the Superman franchise, and I'm just going to give you a very, very quick rundown of what's going on there. Yeah. George Reeves' mysterious death has only added to the fuel in recent years of the presence of a curse surrounding the Superman franchise. Kirk Allen, who played the character in two low-budget 1940s serials, failed to find work afterward due to being too closely identified with the role and was therefore relegated to voiceovers, commercials, and uncredited screen roles. He's one of the lesser... um, you know, sufferers, I guess you could say, of the curse, because these next ones, trigger warning, they're going to get intense. Lee Quigley, who played Superman as a baby in the 1978 film, died at the age of 14 in 1991 of solvent abuse. Solvent abuse? Like inhalers. Or inhalers. Oh, oh gosh. Mm-hmm. That's scary. 14. Now, Christopher Reeve, no relation to George Reeves, it's just Reeve, He is probably one of the people most synonymous with the Superman franchise. He played Superman in the original film series that was Superman, Superman 2, Superman 3, and Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. He also struggled to find work outside of the character. And on May 27th, 1995, he was a... um, show jumper like he loved horses and Mm -hmm. he regularly competed in events he was paralyzed from the neck down after being thrown from his horse in a cross-country equestrian riding event oh that's awful yes he died at the age of 52 in 2004 and while no official autopsy was performed both reeves wife dana and his doctor believed that the death was caused by an adverse reaction to a drug they never specified what kind of drug just a drug And Dana herself was never involved in the production of a Superman film, but died of lung cancer less than two years after her husband, despite never smoking a cigarette a day in her life. Wow. That's really unfortunate. Correct. Marlon Brando, who you may know from The Godfather and On the Waterfront, played mm-hmm. Jarrell in the 1978 Superman film. He suffered misfortune in his private life. His son, Christian, shot his half-sister's boyfriend in 1990. And I thought about doing that case for this, you know, series, but it's, it's, it's a lot. His daughter died by suicide and he died five months before Christopher Reeve did. And they were co co co-stars in the Mm. same movie. Okay. Margot Kidder, who played Lois Lane opposite Christopher Reeves as Superman was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and went missing for several days in April, 1996 before being found. She passed away on May 13th, 2018 of a drug and alcohol overdose. Oh. Comedian Richard Pryor, very famous man, who played Gus Gorman in 1983, Superman 3, was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis three years after the film's release and later died of a heart attack in 2005 at the age of 65. And this one, this one's controversial because obviously everything that I've told you up until this point, these are very tragic deaths. Yeah. Most of them having 
nothing to do, you know, they just happen to the person, nothing of their own accord. Right. But the, the last person that I have to tell you about is Allison Mack, who played oh, Chloe yes. Sullivan from Smallville on Smallville, which is a show based upon the Superman series. She was accused of sex trafficking and forced human labor related to the Nexium cult and arrested mm-hmm. in April 2016. And just this year, she was sentenced to three years in prison. So that is the curse of Superman. And that is the story of George Reeves. I hope you enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. I uh, I will say on the Allison Mack thing, I, I don't think that has anything to do with the curse. She was just, oh, yeah, she no, got into it, some it, very scary stuff. It definitely doesn't. But at the same time, I couldn't resist like somehow tying it in because she was involved in a Superman kind of thing. But yeah, yes. she was. Absolutely. Kind of the, the modern version of Reeves's show. Yes. All right. Thank you. I like that. That was a good one. Thank you. I love the golden age of Hollywood. We so do. my last story is called not working for the weekend. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Cue the music here. I love so I feel like this is something that's talked about but nobody, it, they're like, oh, labor shortage, the labor shortage, but nobody's like really talking about why. So you want to get into why? There's a labor shortage. So there's three like big reasons that I kind of think are like what's driving this problem here. And this is like, these things are actually going on. This isn't just like my opinion. But I think like they are contributing to the labor shortage, but I think like there are other factors as well. But these are kind of the big ones, obviously whether or not people are working as a personal decision most of the time. Um, but kind of as Alyssa nicely talked about in her first story about the Hollywood strike, there are just generally speaking, even outside of Hollywood, a lot of labor strikes going on right now. Like John Deere is in the middle of a big one. Um, Kellogg's. Kellogg, what'd you say? Kellogg's. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Kellogg, the, the cereal company. Um, Mondelez, which is the company that makes Ritz crackers and Oreos. There's a strike going on there. The Hollywood crews, as Alyssa talked about, they're all striking right now. And these workers are asking for things like better pay, benefits, 401ks, bonuses, stuff like that. Things that a lot of normal companies in corporate America do already provide for a lot of people. I was about to say, but not much. They're not asking yeah. for much. Especially because there are like not really pensions in America anymore. Like 401ks are kind of the, the route that companies are taking now because pensions are expensive and underfunded. Correct. But topic for another day. But all these strikes are going on right now because workers are bold enough to strike because of the labor shortage and demand. So it's like, it kind of works both ways. Or like, there's a labor shortage because of the strikes, but because there's a labor shortage, people are striking. <laughs> it yeah. kind of flows. It flows both ways. So workers are bold enough because they know that there's a labor shortage and they know that they have some leverage power here. And in a lot of cases, the strikes that are going on, they are successful because they are getting pay raises. However, here's the catch. Because inflation is up 5.4% right now, mm-hmm. if you're pay raise is less than 5.4%. You're actually getting a pay cut technically. Oh, fine. Yeah. Because yes, it's like more money on paper, but it's not going as far because of the price of goods and services right now. Hmm. So that's really unfortunate. Um, the average hourly rate for Americans has gone up 4.6% since 2020, but because inflation is higher than 4.6%, that actually means that the money is not going as far. So it's going down. So a lot of the strikes are demanding pay raises to kind of offset 
the rising inflation because they know that they're not, their money is not going as far, even if they're getting paid more. So yeah, that is the first kind of part of the labor shortage here is the fact that companies and their workforces are striking kind of against like the corporate big wigs demanding things that, you know, workers should be entitled to, in my opinion. So, but as I said, it flows both ways with the shortage being caused by the strikes and the strikes happening as a result of the shortage. (laughs) Um, The second thing here is that the great resignation wave that I talked about several weeks ago, it's still going on. Like in August, 4.3 million workers quit their jobs, 4.3 million. And that's a record just in August. So, and people are kind of leaving the traditional like nine to five corporate economy and they're joining things like what's called the creator economy care to guess what types of people are in the creator economy would it be influencers it is influencers influencers podcasters people who are just like generally creating content and putting it on the internet and it's not just the people who are trying to sell you makeup on instagram it's people who are like writing things as well and actually putting out like quality content. It's not, I don't mean to like make fun of influencers necessarily, but I was about to say, technically we're a part of this. I mean, yeah, but are we making money off of it? No, we're not, but we're we're following our dreams. That's right. We're trying to be, we're trying to join the the creator economy, but, um, yeah, share, share the word. If you like our podcast, uh, thank you. Um, leave us five stars. No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) I'm not going to be one of those people, but Yeah. So the traditional economy, there's just been all these people leaving who are trying to join the creator economy. Um, There's 50 million people currently in the creator economy, which is a a big chunk of the states right now, you know, with 307 million population. And obviously that includes like children and babies who are not of working age yet. Correct. So in addition to the creator economy, there's kind of something that's growing called the host economy, which means It's people who have like investment properties or they're just, you know, renting out parts of their own home to put like on Airbnb or VRBO or like other sites like that. So that's a good way for people to also make money. Um, They're just kind of like running these investment properties and getting these forms of passive income instead of doing corporate work. And like, depending on where your investment property is and what you're charging for it and like because rent is obviously high right now, as well as home prices, like Mm -hmm. if you're charging a little bit less than the market, this is a great way to get money. So the host economy, Airbnb says that it's going to be like the next big thing. I don't know if it's going to be the next big thing or not, because a lot of people cannot afford one home, let alone investment properties. Correct. Um, But for those of us who like do have that kind of stuff going on, not us, but you know, (laughs) people with money to buy property. Could not be me. Yeah that is a good way for them to make money. And a lot of people don't necessarily need to work a nine to five if they can do this. So the creator economy, as well as the host economy are kind of another reason for like this labor shortage here. And then a lot of people also think that like content creation or like just hosting, you know, having investment properties, that that's kind of the new version of the American dream. Like, why do you need to work a nine to five? If you can just run out, a spare house you have lying around. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> or if you could podcast or if you could sell makeup on Instagram, I'm not yeah. talking about like pyramid scheme makeup. I'm talking about like, like good quality stuff, like beauty bakery brand pot- partnerships. Yeah. That people you talk about have. a glow up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
good stuff like that. So, but like, if you can kind of work for yourself and do things that are a little bit more flexible like that, like there's, and you can support yourself and have the lifestyle you want. Yeah, exactly. Why not? What does it matter? It doesn't matter. It's still, it's still a form of money. So it's kind of like the new American dream, especially for like Gen Z and people who are, you know, they have like, they understand the technology and like how to put themselves on the internet and you know, all that. So, and then the third reason for this labor shortage is it's pretty simple. There's just less people in the workforce. Participation Mm -hmm. is lower than it was pre-pandemic. And this is expected to either be a long-term thing for like the next decade or so, or if not a permanent thing. So why are there less people working? A lot of people are going to be like, well, without employment benefits, why would people work if they're just collecting money from the government? Oh, so you got that quote from my mother? Yes, but no, I didn't. I did not talk to your mother before recording, but a lot of people believe that. That's not what we're talking about here. This is, this is women. Honestly, women are hugely affected by this. So a lot, if you don't have children, which listen, I don't have children, but I mean, I have have, a child, but I did not birth him and he's not going to school. Correct. So childcare is incredibly expensive. Yes. Like that's another issue that's going on in the country right now. It's very expensive to put your kids in daycare, partially because there's nobody to work in daycare. Like mm-hmm. daycares don't have enough people because they don't pay enough. <laughs> it's like everything is like just this big domino effect, right? Like this is a problem because that's a problem because that's a problem. But a lot of like families, they don't necessarily have the money to put their kids in daycare. So it's like, you can have two incomes and spend a lot of money to put your kids in daycare, or you could have one parent stay out of work and just take care of the kids. And then you're saving that money on daycares. And sometimes that's a better option for families. It is. So that's what a lot of people are doing. Um, and this is especially affecting women because they're not coming back to the workforce because they're just going to take care of their kids. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but because childcare is so expensive, it's not a viable option for a lot of people in this country. Um, so that's partially an issue. There's also problems with participation because a lot of people are not returning by choice. And it's because they're like raising their standards. It's not because they're collecting unemployment from the government. They just, they were not happy with their current situation. They didn't feel like it was what they deserved. They didn't like the work. They were burned out. A myriad of reasons, but they just kind of decided because of this like demand for workers right now they have other options so they're going to pursue them they don't necessarily feel like they have to take the first thing that comes along which is a Mm -hmm. good thing that people are feeling you know more empowered um and then a lot of people unfortunately this is kind of the negative part of the participation being lower a lot of people can't return to the workforce so covid obviously like it was not convenient for anybody but for people who are kind of in like maybe their late 50s or early to mid 60s if they were working right before COVID hit, and then they got laid off as a result of the pandemic, they're not going to go back to work. Mm -mm. You know, their health is probably not what it used to be when they were younger. It's entirely possible that like, if they cannot get hired at the same company they were at, they're, you know, they would have to start all over. They would be taking a pay cut. They would have to try and rework, you know, get those relationships back. It's, that's just really hard to do. I would imagine at that older of an age, you can't, just start over as easily as you can, you know, when you're job jumping in your twenties, it's a completely different thing. So a lot of people, if they got laid off as a result of COVID or furloughed or something like that, if they don't feel like they have the mental capacity or not mental capacity, like if they don't have that mentality 
where they want to switch, they're just not going to do it. So they're just kind of retiring maybe earlier than they would have originally planned to because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of people who are just kind of like dipping out a little bit early because they don't want to start all over, which I mean, makes sense. That's a lot to ask at at that age when you've already put in so many years in the industry. So that's kind of an issue. And like, it's not just affecting women and it's not just affecting the elderly. Like this is a big, like broad economic thing going on, but the elderly as well as women are kind of two of the major groups that this thing is affecting. And they, those are the people who are not coming back to the workforce resulting Mm -hmm. in like the lower participation. So I mean, economists are hoping that equilibrium in the labor market will eventually be reached, but it's really going to be difficult to find some sort of situation where it works for what workers want, but it works for what companies want as well. The disconnect is going to be pretty difficult to restore because a lot of companies like, yes, they should be, be providing all of these like basic things, but like in this era of business where everything's kind of being, having to heavily compete with these big companies it's, it's hard for a lot of companies to provide things that maybe they should be for employees. And some people would say, oh, well, then they should just go out of business. Like they don't deserve to be in business anyway. Like, yes and no, that's a complicated issue. So labor shortage because of strikes, labor shortage because of lower participation due to things like higher childcare costs and the elderly not wanting to go back to work. And then in addition to that, as we talked about, you know, if you can join the creator, the host economy, and you don't have to do a typical nine to five, why would you? So all reasons for the labor shortage right now, it does not look like it's going to be a problem that's resolved quickly. It is probably going to be part of the long term. And what's difficult right now is people always talk about like the graying of America and how there's a lot of like older boomers who are out of work right now. And, you know, because they've retired and they've, they've put in their time And that's true, but now there's even less people kind of paying into the system. Obviously, you're paying taxes on things like the creator economy and any investment properties that, like, it's not like completely free money, Mm -hmm. you know, that's unaccounted for, but it's, it's different. There's less, if there's people who are just not working, then they're not, their taxes are not going into things like social security and Medicare. So it's an issue. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but we're going to be feeling the effects of this one for years to come. Do you have a smile file this week? I do, but also I just want to add, like, I, I, I love the fact that like our generation, you know, despite our problems, cause we do have them. I'm not going to negate that. I love the fact, and I've said it before that if we're unhappy with something, we're going to change it. Like, right. I've, I, you know, the longer I spend in journalism, the less I believe that I'm going to be in it until I retire, you know, maybe I might change over to PR or advertising or something. This is all, you know, like up in the air. I have no plans right now because I just started a new job, but you know, the other night I was talking to my family and I was like, I'm just, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not always happy when I'm at work, you know, like, I'm not like, Oh, I can't wait to log in today. You know, and my mom's like, well, who actually likes what they do for a living? And I was like, that is so sad that you say that. Yeah. It's like, no one wants to be miserable all the time, but I don't know. I'm kind of like, I'm not saying I agree with your mother because I don't like nobody should really be miserable at work, but the more I kind of get older and you know COVID has given me time to reflect on some things like 
I thought that I really wanted to be this super high powered like career woman. Like I didn't want kids. I didn't want to like really do any of like the traditional stuff. I just kind of like wanted to focus on my career and be as successful and as powerful as I could. And like, I don't necessarily know that that's the case now. Like I, I kind of want a more balanced life. I'm not saying I want to quit my job and like never work again or no, you know but... slack off or anything like that. But I just kind of want a more balanced approach. Cause I do think that like, work should not make you miserable, but it's not going to be necessarily like your only source of happiness, I hope. So I want to invest myself in other places and other, you know, opportunities as well. So yeah, but I agree with you. I think it's a good thing that people are empowered enough to like either change their situation or try and improve it as much as they can. Yeah. Because if you don't like something, you don't have to keep dealing with it. Like Life is short. Yeah. You can find other options. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's fine. Okay, so this week's smile file, it's all over the place because past few weeks haven't been great, not gonna lie. Um, so I have a Nintendo Switch Lite coming my way today, which is really nice. Um, the newest season of Big Mouth is coming out first season of November. Um, let's see. I watched Monster House last night and it made me really happy. I love yeah. that movie. I love that movie so much. That's that's an interesting choice. I remember that movie. You don't like Monster House? I just remember being a little weirded out by the whole thing. Oh, I loved it. Like, oh my God. <laughs> You're a shack. You're an outhouse. I love that. Oh, God. No more Mountain oh. Dew for you. No more Mountain Dew for you. Hey, you got any beer? <laughs> We're just gonna... Oh, also I watched um, a Cinderella story after we talked about it last week and it not that it's any surprise but it fully holds up it's a great movie others need you to go to the diner sam you gotta bust a lot of tables fiona if i wanted to look like a clown i'd join the join the circus if you were part of my circus circus, i'd have you cleaning the elephant elephants with a wet wet one it's part of the uniform or what's your smile file for the week um, the Braves won a very exciting game last night. Both the first and the second game of the series of the NLCS were walk-offs. So the score was tied and then there was just like one extra base runner who was able to do it. So that was exciting. The whole team looks, you know, pretty good. Everybody for the most part is pulling their weight, except for a certain man. I'm not going to highlight because he has been incredible for his entire career with the Braves so I'm not going to knock him just because he's having a rough patch right now I thought you were about to spill some tea I mean Freddie Freeman has not like had a great last couple of games but he took us like to the NLCS because he had a go-ahead home run against who do we play last the Brewers off the best closer in baseball so I'm not I'm not going to knock him for that very sports heavy right now I have not watched like any regular tv just because I've been you know, looking at football survivor. Well, survivor. Yeah. But it's, that's a one day a week commitment for like an hour. Um, but yeah, that's my, my smile file. The Braves head to Atlanta, excuse me, the Braves head to LA. Hopefully they can win at least a game there. If not close out the series, but we will see, as I said earlier, the Dodgers have a lot of talent because they paid a billion dollars for it. So we'll see, but go Braves. See, all right. Okay, guys, thank you for joining us for this week's edition of Woe is Media. If you would like to check out our Instagram, I know we, we've had it up for a while, but we've never really plugged it here yeah. on the podcast. It's just Woe is Media Pod. 
Um, if you want to check us out, I usually do episode guides. So if you need like visual cues for what we're talking about, they're always there. There's also links to the Spotify and just some quality content. Oh, oh my gosh. This is part of my smile file too. So I mentioned boo the pug last Mm -hmm. week in the podcast and we're fully friends now. Like he's tagging us in his reels and whatnot and liking our content. I'm ecstatic. Yes. He's a cutie. I'm here for that. He's a blessing. He might, he might be a she, honestly, I might be misgendering him. And I'm so sorry if that is the case, I'll go check, double check, but we love him or her regardless. We love them. Yes. We love them. But yeah, that's another one to look forward to. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us this week. We'll be back next week with some more spooky tales and some more business cues as well, but look forward to it and have a great rest of your week. Bye everybody. Bye.